Hi there, Monica White, licensed mental health counselor here. Welcome to Boost Your EQ. This is the podcast where I teach the most important psychology skills you can learn to build abundant, thriving relationships with yourself and the people around you. This is episode 28, My Journey with MS. MS is multiple sclerosis, so this is a bit of a different episode than my usual. Usually, I go through simple checklists, you know, how to boost your emotional intelligence and all the skills that go along with it. However, in this episode, I wanted to do a health timeline. So a timeline of my chronic health issue, which is multiple sclerosis. So I wanted to do a timeline of that and discuss the journey. So how I learned that I had multiple sclerosis this year in July and the timeline of how I began treatment and follow up with my neurologist and so forth. So let's just go ahead and get started. All right, so it's Sunday in January 2020 right outside of Boston. If you follow me on Instagram at wellbe2go, you may have noticed that last year I posted a timeline story and it was titled MS Awareness. So I started documenting my brief history with multiple sclerosis because I wanted to remember some of the details, right? So there's a lot to a story, even a chronic health story, even any sort of um, health issue. So it's kind of nice to document it and have a timeline. Most of my previous episodes have been about emotional intelligence boosting your EQ, right? So I've gone through simple checklists to develop daily habits, daily mindset, thinking habits in order to boost your emotional intelligence. However, my MS, multiple sclerosis journey, was something super out of left field for me. So I wanted to go through the story right now in case it helps somebody else, in case it helps somebody know what to expect and not be so scared. So before I get into the story, I'm just going to uh, do the timeline of dates. So on a timeline, I'll start with July 21st when I was in Rome and how when I came back to Massachusetts, how I was sent to the ER by my family practice doctor into neurology and then how I was diagnosed and the medication that I started taking and just my thoughts and like some of the quirky things that happened along the way quirky or overwhelming, (laughs) not quite sure um, which one is more applicable. But anyhow, let's just go ahead and get started. So six months ago, it was the summer of 2019. This past summer, it was my fourth year of organizing a 143 plus person member tennis group. So I'd been organizing this tennis group for four years And here's the real deal. So usually I would play tennis like three or four times a week. I would go golfing and at that point I was also sailing. So I had a lot of hobbies and I was super, super, super active. If you knew me the last past four years, you would be like, wow, she's so positive, has so much energy, is like the energizer bunny. So all this... MS stuff came out of left field. Like, I'm the healthiest eater. I will eat olive oil every day. I'll eat fish oils. 
Um, I eat spinach with miso and vegetables every single day. So I had a history of being really healthy and really active. So then what happened, I was on a flight to Rome, July 21st, and I started experiencing tingling from my chest to my toes. And so I didn't really pay too much attention to it because I didn't know what it was, and so I didn't pay attention at all, actually. And my initial symptoms were difficulties walking, like a little off balance, tingling in my waist, numbness in my toes. On the flight, I was pretty uncomfortable, but again, I wasn't paying attention. It, I started noticing that something was off when I was in Rome and I was walking around and I was kind of worried that I might step on glass and that I wouldn't feel it. So I was really worried about like stubbing my toe because I actually couldn't really feel my feet. And so I'd be walking around and I was thinking, okay, if I step on something, I'm not going to be able to feel it. So I was way more cautious when I was walking around than my usual. And so as a tennis player, I'm always like bouncing around and like moving really quickly. So I wasn't, I was moving pretty slowly, even though I walked all around Rome and had a really good time. So then I still didn't really think that much of it. I took a flight back. When I got back to Boston, just, you know, regularly, I came home and I was just actually at my house doing my regular stuff, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to make an appointment with my primary care doctor for the next week. I actually don't even know why I did that. It must have been pretty bad. In hindsight, it's hard to remember all the little details. But anywho, so I went to my primary care, and it was not my usual. It was a new doctor, and it was so interesting. He asked me about my symptoms, and so I told him about, you know, the tingling and the numbness that I couldn't feel anything from my chest down. And the main thing that caused him to be alarmed is that I said, when I have sex, I can't feel anything. That's when he looked at me super concerned and like probably thinking, okay, that's not normal. So he sent me to the ER. He was like, um, can you go to the ER right now? And I was like, yep. So I walked down, I walked myself to the ER, or actually a lady escorted me down to the ER, and then I checked in. So back in the ER, I was sitting there for three or four hours, and at this point, I thought I was going to go play tennis that night. So I'm like sitting there and like kind of anxious, like thinking, okay, I want to go now, I'm ready to go, what's going on? And then the CNA, the tech nurse, she was like, you can't leave. She was like, you have to wait. And so then I did wait. Finally, the neurology team came down, headed by this amazing neurologist. Oh, he's, he's like my hero. He's so amazing. Super sharp, super brilliant. Anywho, he's actually a tennis player. So he came down and he watched me walk up and down the hall. If you know anything about MS, it messes up your gait. So that means like how you walk. So I was like kind of like shaky and like not coordinated. At this point, I was still thinking it was a sports injury, even though the neurology team and the residents were there. There's like a teaching team. Even though neurology was there, I still thought it was like a sports injury. So I didn't think anything of it. I had no idea what to think. So at this point, I was in the ER 
for six hours and then they left, probably went upstairs, made some arrangements and then the team came back and he didn't tell me anything. He just said, um, we're going to transfer you up to neurology. So that begins the transfer. <laughs> However, if you've ever been to an ER, you know this takes days. So I actually was stuck almost two, was it one or two evenings? I can't even remember. But anyhow, I was stuck a couple nights in the ER before there was an open bed in the neurology unit. So I'm going to skip past all the fun ER stories, but anyhow, I ended up spending three nights in neurology on the neurology unit. There, I completed all the testing, right? So I did the MRI. I believe it was three MRIs. So they do like a thoracic and a chest MRI and then, I don't know, something like a brain MRI. So it was three different MRIs of different parts of my body. Then I did a lumbar puncture where they, you know, put the big needle in your back. Then I did blood work, CT scan, a chest x-ray, and all the other exams they need to do to rule out a diagnosis or other issues, right? So after three nights in neurology, I was discharged on the evening of August 1st, 2019. Then I was given steroids, so steroids like in high dosage. So I came home and I took all my steroid medication. I believe it was for five days. So steroids came in the form of a pill, and I took the medication to reduce the inflammation. So the MS is basically a disease that attacks your neurons. I actually don't know a lot about MS. I still haven't really learned too much about it, so I've just trying to go with the flow and like follow the orders. So at this point, I took that steroid medication and I went to the US Open and I was feeling okay because it did, it did work. So it did reduce the inflammation. So in September, I still didn't have a formal diagnosis yet. I just took the medication and I was like, hmm, okay, maybe it went away. I was pretty naive to the whole thing, but I didn't know what to think yet. And I also hadn't gotten a formal diagnosis yet. Then my multiple sclerosis, it began to flare up again. So a few days before my follow-up with my neurologist, it, I started getting those symptoms again. And my symptoms were fatigue, dizziness, tingling, vertigo, like feeling like I'm going to fall over when I walk, muscle weakness, coordination, heat sensitivity, like I would get really uncomfortable if I got sweaty, like if I worked out. And I also had numbness at my waist. And when I was going to sleep, I would get the tingling in my fingers and my feet, which was super annoying. So on September 5th, when I had my follow-up with my neurologist, he showed me the MRI imaging. And I don't know how to describe it, but it looks really strange. It's like your spinal cord, it's inflamed and it's like white. So they do like a contrasting for the MRI scan. And so he showed me that there was like three or four lesions in my brain that you could see they're like little white dots, like clusters. And then on my spine, it was looked really inflamed. So he showed me like what a regular spine looks like and then one with an MS. 
And so then I could kind of see like, oh, yeah, that doesn't look good. <laughs> so then he gave me a formal diagnosis. He said that it is multiple sclerosis, relapsing, remitting MS. So apparently that's the most common form of multiple sclerosis. And apparently there's four types according to the way the disease acts on your body over time. So when he said, you know, multiple sclerosis, relapsing, remitting, I still didn't know what that meant. I have a distant cousin who had MS, but I really didn't know anyone else close to me. I guess it's not something people talk about. Um, actually, I rarely talk about it too nowadays. I kind of forget that it's there until you get a flare up, right? Until it's like really obnoxious and you can't sleep and walk and all the symptoms flare up. But at that point, I didn't really know anybody with MS. I didn't know what to think. After the diagnosis, he had the nurse or the tech person, the patient care tech person, um, schedule me a follow-up appointment in the infusion center. So that was kind of nice because I picked a really like nice infusion center. So it wasn't in the hospital, it was at, like outpatient. So I was scheduled to begin two-hour steroid infusions in the outpatient clinic for three days, and this began on September 12th. So I had never been to an infusion center, but while I was there, there were patients with cancer and it seemed like other chronic illnesses. So anywho, when you go to the infusion center, you sit there for mm, anywhere from like three to four hours, and they hook you up to an IV and they put the steroids in through intravenously. So that was that. Let's move on. And after that, the symptoms were not totally abated. So I still had heat intolerance, fatigue, tingling, and I still played tennis two times that week. So you can see I was, I don't want to say I was in denial, but I was like, oh, this is not going to affect my lifestyle. I was still, I, you know what, that was probably denial. I was like thinking, oh, I'm going to keep playing tennis, keep pushing through this, it's not going to affect me. I guess that's where my mindset was at going through the grief and loss process. I was like heavily into the denial stage. Um, yeah, I don't actually know where I am right now on the grief and loss process with MS. I haven't really thought about it in the past couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden I did think I probably needed to like um, do this podcast on it. So I was still going to play golf and tennis that weekend and I did. That weekend though, I'm pretty sure I just gave up. So I do remember playing and I was just getting really frustrated. So if you've ever taken steroids... I had been a tennis organizer for years, so I had worked and managed with a lot of different types of people. So I was like really flexible and pretty resilient at managing, you know, tennis players, right? However, with the steroids, it was making me get super agitated. So what I used to be able to handle really well, I couldn't do it anymore because the steroids just kind of make you like angry. And, you know, I didn't get angry, but I would be like, I can't, like, people, like, please organize yourselves. Like, just don't ask me questions. Like, I can't. I was really, like, um, feeling pretty crummy. 
to say the least. So I got pretty disheartened. I don't remember exactly when I quit tennis, but I eventually that month I just quit. I was like, you know what? I can't. I can't do this. I can't play anymore. It's not fun. I have MS. I don't want to keep having to explain this to everybody. So I literally just quit. I quit tennis. As of today, I haven't played tennis since then. And recently when I talked to my neurologist, he was like, play tennis, go play tennis. And I, I'm still not there yet. I'm like in the grieving process. So I have not gone back to play tennis yet. I don't have a plan of when I will because I'm still going through the MS thing. But anyhow, you see how it kind of gets pretty depressing and frustrating, even though I'm somebody that like pulls through and pushes through hard times, right? So anyone with chronic health issues knows that on top of your chronic illness, you're going to get hospital bills. So at this point, I was starting to get my hospital bills. I had racked up $28,000 of hospital bills in two months. And so, of course, when I got the bill, I was like, okay, (laughs) let's see what happens here. Because you really can't do anything. You have to follow the orders because you need to, like, get on medication and, like, do the right thing. So, you know, I started seeing the bills and I was like, all right, whatever, whatever, not going to think about it. Interesting enough, in 2019, after multiple visits and follow-ups, my insurance ended up paying for everything except $1,000. So it's really, this was the first time in my life where I really appreciated having health insurance because if I hadn't, I would not have been able to afford $28,000 in hospital bills and I wouldn't be able to afford my medication, Ocrevus, which costs $64,000 a year. So, you know, it's pretty um, scary stuff. So that's why health insurance matters. And this has really shed like a brand new perspective for me on health insurance. And I always was a person that thought mental health and behavioral health and all, you know, mother's time off and all those kinds of things needed to be covered by health insurance. But now more than ever, I'm thinking like, wow, health insurance is not a luxury. Like it's necessity. People do die without health insurance. So I was feeling super grateful that I have good health insurance and that out of all those bills, I only had to pay $1,000. So chronic illness costs a lot of money and it's permanent. It's forever. So you always have to manage it. And so thank goodness that my health insurance covered it. And I'm super lucky and I know a lot of people are not. So, you know, I'm, I don't know. It's a miracle that my health insurance covered all of that. So I'll get off my soapbox on that and let's move on. I had another follow-up after that. My neurologist at that point, uh, my other one, so I had like a team, right? They said my vitamin D was too low and that I needed to start taking like four or 5,000 milligrams. So I got like on a really strong dose of vitamin D and you'd have to talk to your doctor about that. So I can't quite remember the dosage, but it was outrageous. And they wanted to bring my vitamin D back up. 
And so then I was scheduled to start Ocrevus infusions. Also at this time, my neurologist placed me into, well, he asked me if I would be part of a John Hopkins hospital research study for MS. So basically, you know, you get put into two different categories. I forgot what the name for studies are, like not placebo, but um, control groups. So I was going to be randomly selected into a medication and they were going to see, you know, how the outcomes are. So it was Ocrevus and Jelena, something like that. So I was um, put into the Ocrevus group, which is really cool because that's what I had been hoping for. So I got, again, lucky on that. So I was put into the Ocrevus group. So I'm still part of that study, and every once in a while they send me, like, a questionnaire to fill out. And I'm usually pretty grumpy about it, but I should actually be grateful for it. It's, it's nice to be part of, like, a bigger study that helps, you know, look at the outcomes of the different medications for multiple sclerosis. On October 8th, I had my first Ocrevus infusion. It was similar to getting steroids. So I went to the same outpatient infusion clinic and they hooked me up this time. Instead of steroids, they hooked me up to Ocrevus. So at this point, I wasn't sure again what to expect because this is all brand new. So Ocrevus is given in two doses. The first dose is 600 milligrams and the second one is 600 milligrams. So they just split it up because apparently it's a lot. So I had an appointment for October 8th and October 25th. So two weeks apart and the dosage, it took about, it was two or three hours um, to get the infusion. So that was that and I completed that and I had my medication. Then I had the Ocrevus rep call me. And that was an interesting conversation because usually the rep calls you to help you finance your medication and I guess they have like a plan to help. However, my rep said that my insurance would cover it. So she said I was, you know, I had good insurance and that it would cover it. And I took the opportunity to ask her how much Ocrevus costs. So I had no idea. And she said that Ocrevus costs $64,000 a year. So this medication costs $64,000. And my mind was blown by that because again, if you don't have health insurance, how are you going to afford $64,000 worth of medication? The answer is you're not. You're not going to be able to. So it's just terrifying that, you know, if I didn't have health insurance, my multiple sclerosis would keep degenerating my spinal cord and my brain. So it's really scary. And I'm just so lucky that again, my health insurance approved my medication. And since then, my health insurance has approved all my follow-ups and my MRIs and my next medication, my next round of Ocrevus in May. All right, so that was my first MS journey. It took three months from Rome, I went to the ER, and then I went to neurology for three nights and one night in ER, I believe, I'm pretty sure. Then I had the steroid infusions in August and September, and then I, before that I took the steroid pills in pill form. I had my first Ocrevus dose 
October 8th and the 25th. And my next one is scheduled for six months later. So my second round is going to be May 5th. So that's that. In three months, I started my medication. I went through the all that rigmarole. And in the past six months, so from July to January now, 2020, I've seen my neurologist for follow-up. And the last time I talked to him in December, he was super optimistic. And I don't know how I've recovered so quickly. <laughs> like, I really thought it was going to be, um, like, way worse. So I was like, they were like, how's your functioning? And, and I said, well, I'm, like, back to 100% almost, right? Not totally. Obviously, it's like a lifestyle adjustment and a life-changing experience. And of course, people get really depressed and scared and like overwhelmed because it is all of that. However, my body was basically almost back up to 100%. So technically, I could work out and play tennis and do all the stuff that I was doing before. And the neurologist was like, no, actually, we can get you back to 100%. That is the goal. So I had no idea that people could recover and get so well so quickly. However, that said, I don't want to jinx myself because who knows what the future holds. Moving into the future, I have another MRI scheduled for February and I don't know what it's going to show on the MRI. I have no idea. So I'm interested and curious to see what is going to come up on the MRI. I'll have a follow-up in May and maybe one before to see the results of the MRI. And then again, as I mentioned, my second round of Acrevus in May, on May 1st. So that has been my six-month journey with multiple sclerosis from being diagnosed to getting medication and moving forward to my second dose of Acrevus. It has been a journey. I don't know how to describe it. It's just, you know, I just kept doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I kept following the doctor's orders. Most likely I'll post something to my Instagram stories later on. I try not to post too many personal things on my Instagram, but I may post just because it's so important to keep a timeline to document, you know, the journey and just keep it in organized, right? So, so much happens when you get diagnosed with a chronic illness that it's hard to keep it all straight and time just sort of warps into different areas and so you don't it's really just hard to remember all the details because it's a lot it's a lot to learn all at once and it's pretty terrifying when you're going through it however you know it has gone as well as I could have ever imagined so I'm so surprised that it turned out so well for me I had no idea I could bounce back to 100% and I don't know what the grief and loss process will be so maybe I will play tennis again next summer so not there yet interested to see what the future holds and as a last point on this conversation this ms journey i just am so sad because the head director dr riskin of the multiple sclerosis clinic retired so it makes me really sad to think that this incredible brilliant person retired in December and I'll never get to see him again. 
I definitely didn't get any chance to thank him or say goodbye. I saw him in November of last year, and I heard, I knew that he was retiring in December, and he said that my new neurologist is like amazing. He handpicked him and all that kind of thing. And he's right. So my new neurologist is amazing. I mean, he's like a perfect, adorable person. So I love the whole multiple sclerosis clinic team. They are outstanding, incredible people. And, you know, we owe them our lives. So they definitely save lives. And I think I kind of teared up last time I saw my neuro for the last time. And I was like, don't, don't leave me. I didn't really say that, but I like had the tears and look in my eyes. So it was like so sad. It's like saying bye to your dad or something. It just felt like horrible. But anyhow, he's retired and wherever he is, I hope he's enjoying playing tennis because I know that's what he plays as well. So to Dr. Riskin, thank you so much for everything. He definitely saved my life. So amazing, incredible person. And I'm just really, really grateful for this whole process and that it turned out, you know, as well as could be for me. So again, I don't know what the future holds, but that is that. And that is the end of my story for now, at least. So that's it. Thank you, friends, for being here. I hope you found this episode helpful. And for anyone that's going through multiple sclerosis, stay optimistic, you know, one step at a time, pace yourself. And yeah, I mean, follow the directions and just, you know, stay in good communication and advocate for yourself. I started following Ms. Tripping on Air, and I think she's a UK Instagrammer. So she has multiple sclerosis, and she's on Instagram. She's probably the only one I really follow, but she has such great sense of humor. Instagram search Tripping on Air, you'll find her, but she's really funny, and um, she has a great Instagram full of like MS helpful tips and just like a sense of humor. So anyhow, have a good evening. Have a good MLK Day tomorrow, Martin Luther King Day, and enjoy. Enjoy the week. I will talk to y'all next time.